you guys doing? Well, going off of what Pastor Doug said, my name is Ryan Singleton. I'm the church plant intern here. Um, I am going to start off and just be completely honest with you guys. Um, I am definitely nervous up here. Um, man, it is intimidating filling in for Pastor Doug. Um, I have sat under a lot of different teachers uh, over the past 20 years, um, but I just have to say, um, and I'm not just saying this, they don't, they're not paying me to say this or anything. Literally, Pastor Doug is one of the best Bible teaching speakers that I've ever heard of. Can we give it up for our pastor? Well, I know what some of you guys are probably thinking. I kind of see it on your faces. You're probably thinking, man, this guy looks young, right? Well, just remember, Pastor Doug used to look young too, okay? God can use average people to do extraordinary things, as Pastor Doug would say. <laughs> Well, allow me to start off by just introducing myself a little bit, just to um, give you just a little bit about myself. Um, I got saved, uh, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was 14 years old. Um, that's right, that's right before all the tough years in high school came my way. And uh, I've actually been doing student ministry now for 13 years. Um, that's just crazy when I actually stop and think about that. I uh, started out as a 16-year-old, just uh, really felt God's calling, just a passion for uh, the next generation, and so started helping out in the middle school, um, and then I've just been doing it ever since, middle school, high school. Um, another thing about myself is I love God. I really do. I love God with all my heart. I'm not just saying that. Um, in fact, I know that on Facebook right now, they have that thing going around where if you click on it, it'll actually say your most used words on Facebook. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so I wanted to share with you guys mine just real quick. And so God, I definitely use my social media to promote God. So I guess that's an encouraging thing. Uh, but also what you'll see at the very top, um, talk about my family a lot. I wanted to show you guys a quick picture of my family. Um, that's my beautiful wife on the far left, Stephanie. Um, that's my daughter, Kinsley. She's uh, three years old, going on 13. Um, that's my goofy goober son, Gannon. And uh, he's a year and a half years old. And then believe it or not, we've got one more kiddo on the way. Uh, we've been married for four years, and then we'll have three kids. Uh, and I'm very, very excited about that. Praise God, yeah, absolutely, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, it's going to be a little girl. Yes, we did find out, um, so we can't wait. Um, her due date is January 3rd, but um, I'm thinking maybe a Star Wars baby um, or a Christmas baby, one of the two, okay? <laughs> well, another thing about myself is I love this church. Um, I really, really do. Um, my wife and I, we were just talking about it uh, just last week. We have never felt so appreciated, um, so loved and so welcomed by any other church that we've ever been a part of. And even in talking with other people that have been coming here for several years, I, I'm getting the same exact responses every single time. They're just like, man, even though we're really big, it just feels like a family. And that's how we have felt here. I mean, as a former outsider coming in, I've been on staff now for about three months. Um, I just have to say that we have an amazing church staff here. Um, Pastor Doug and Gary, uh, they are phenomenal leaders. Um, one of the things, in fact, that drew Stephanie and I to Orchard Church was the strong leadership that they display. And the truth of the matter is, and I, I'm sure you guys could agree with me, people are drawn to strong leadership, right? I mean, people are drawn to where God is doing amazing things. Well, we were drawn here because God is doing amazing things here at Orchard Church. Can I get an amen? So cool. So we're honored and privileged just to be a part. Um, thank you for welcoming us into your guys' church family. 
And then the last thing um, I wanted to share about myself, and you probably caught on to it already, is I just love students. Um, I'll kind of get into it a little bit later, maybe the reasons why, but I just love students. I have a passion to reach the next generation. Um, I oversee our uh, college-age ministry. It's called 30 Below. They meet every Friday night in someone's house. It's at 7 o'clock. It's just this awesome group. It's about 12 different people. Um, it's continuing to grow. More and more people come and check it out. Um, and so I, I encourage you, if you want more details, um, all the details are on the website. Go and, and take a look. And then I also oversee Fuel Student Ministry. That's the middle school and high school student ministry. Um, and the cool thing is, coming up, I'm normally middle school meets on Tuesday nights, high school meets on Wednesday nights. Well, once a month, the first Wednesday of every month, we combine. And so we have like the room just packed. Um, and so we have something called Fuel United, where we have a dynamic teaching, awesome worship for the students. We do a raffle. Um, keep in mind, uh, um, you know, we don't meet here because we don't have a church building yet. That's yet to come. But we do meet at the ministry center. That's where we do the baptisms. It's our church offices. And the coolest thing is you go through the offices in the back. We have this really, really cool looking uh, youth room. And so we have a ping pong table back there, air hockey table. We have a tech booth. We have a stage. And so we do worship there. Um, and then we feed the students for Fuel United because we know that a draw for teenagers is food. <laughs> I'm sure many of your parents, your fridges are empty because of that. Well, um, I've been challenging the high schoolers. I'm like, hey, if we can get 25 high schoolers there this week, and we've been close. Every Fuel United has been around 20 or so. But if we get 25, I told them, I'm like, I'm going to treat you guys. It'll be on my dollar. It'll be on my dime. I'm going to take you out afterwards for dessert. We're going to go to this fine, elegant dessert place called McDonald's. <laughs> and so if we get that many students this week, that's what we're going to do. It'll be fun. It'll be fun uh, hang out at time afterwards. So that is this Wednesday. Um, well, many people ask why I ever got involved in student ministry in the first place. You know, you always kind of get those weird looks. They're like, hey, hey, so why, why, why student ministry? Like, why not anything else, you know? Because student ministry, I mean, it has a reputation of a lot of different things, right? We have the reputation for being wild, have the reputation for being crazy. I mean, sadly, we have the reputation for being stinky and immature. And it's so funny when people actually ask me these different things. You can see the wheels turning as they get to know me. And they're like, oh, that's why you got involved. You're a perfect fit. <laughs> you meet all of the criteria, right? <laughs> no, but the real reason why I got involved is because I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it weren't for the men who poured into my life when I was younger. The men who challenged me to bring my Bible to high school. And for high schoolers, I mean, that's like social suicide. Like, bring your Bible to high school and open it up and read it in front of your peers. I had men in my life who encouraged me. You know, when I just felt down, when I felt like, man, you know, I'm, I'm not worth anything. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm no good. I had men pouring into my life and wanting to hang out with me. You know, when I felt like nobody else wanted to hang out with me. That's why I love what is going on right now at Fuel. I mean, God is doing amazing things because that's our heart. Our heart is to be big brothers or big sisters or mentors that would be able to pour into the next generation all the bad or, or learn from all the bad things we've ever done. But then also all the good things be like, hey, don't go down that path. Instead, go down this direction instead. And so it's cool because that's what God's been doing. And I understand that student ministry isn't the be all for a student ministries uh, or for a student's growth, spiritual growth. But I do believe it plays a vital part. I believe it plays a very vital part because I pray that when my girls and my son are old enough to be teenagers, 
that God would bring someone else along who is younger and probably cooler than me <laughs> that would be able to pour into my kids' lives and say, hey, come to church. Come to church. You know, let's, let, let's worship God together. Let's get into the Bible. Hey, did you check out this verse? And so I wanted to give you guys just a quick sample this morning, uh, just a quick glimpse of what fuel is all about. So go ahead and take a look at this. You It makes me feel closer to God, I guess. I get more opportunities to hear like the messages. Yeah, no one's judgmental. It's really fun. You can be open here around anyone. No one will judge you, and they will always be here for you. You don't have to be scared. Right away, you'll meet a whole bunch of new people who want to be your friend. <laughs> hearing those teenagers' testimonies. It's cool. Well, currently we average 60 students a week, so just wanted to give you a little bit of our numbers and whatnot. And uh, this year we've had eight baptisms. Um, so eight baptisms, eight teenagers dedicating their life saying, God, I'm, gonna, I'm committed to following you. So really, really cool stuff. Um, here at Orchard Church, as you can see, we're very passionate about reaching the next generation. Um, I want to throw out just a few different statistics to you really quick. There are currently 34 million teenagers in the United States. And statistics show that by the time teenagers reach the age of 20, that the chances of reaching them for God are actually, they go down to 10%. 10%, because by that time they've already established in their mind whether or not there is a God, and whether or not they should even go to church, or whether they should even believe in Him. And soon, we are going to be right next door to Prairie View High School. And I am so thrilled about that. I envision us just busting at the seams. Hundreds of students come in here every single week. I mean, I can see, you know, the students are getting out. We open up our doors and say, hey, come hang out. We'll feed you. We'll hang out with you. And you know what? We're going to love on you. We just want to share Jesus with you. Because listen, I love students. And what I've noticed in the last 13 years, and it's been this reoccurring theme with every generation, is that students are struggling with their identity. They're struggling with who they are. They're struggling with their identity. I mean, especially this generation. I mean, think about growing up in this day and age with all the technology, with all the social media at our fingertips. 
I mean, you've got all of the Facebook comments and you got Instagram comments, friend requests, Snapchat videos and messages. It's a tough time to be a teenager. And I found that as students, they're subconsciously thinking as they step away from their parents, man, if, as I step away, who is going to accept me? Who is going to love me? I mean, who do I fit in with? I mean, that's why I believe you see a lot of teenagers, a lot of younger um, students, they, they try one click and then it doesn't work and then they go and try another one because they're trying to find their place in society. They're trying to figure out who they identify with. But man, what I've also learned is that students aren't the only ones who struggle with their identity, are they? I'd be the first one to admit, we as adults, we struggle with our identity as well. Trying to fit in with the wrong crowd or doing the wrong things, I have struggled with that as well. You see, this morning I want to talk with you about the one thing that I believe changes everything. And that one thing is your identity in Christ. I mean, Jesus' message about our identity and who we are in Christ, it's, it's revolutionary. It's a universal message, one that I believe that every single person needs to hear at one point in time or another. Because if there was only one message that I could teach, there's only one message that I could share with another, with a teenager or another adult, it would be this one. And this is the main point of today. This is the key thought at your top. It's in your notes. It's this, that once you have discovered who God has made you to be, you will never want to be anyone else. Once you have discovered who God has made you to be, you will not want to be anyone else. And this is something I'm very passionate about in talking with students because I'm seeing that students, are, as they grow up, they're trying to find their identity in a lot of different things. Trying to find their identity in what school they go to. Trying to find their identity in what friends they hang out with. What they say, what they do, how they act. So we get older, our political affiliation. What job we work at, how much money we make. What sports team we cheer for. I'm seeing a lot of orange and blue in the house this morning. You guys excited for tonight's game? Oh, man. Response was deflating. Come on. <laughs> it's going to be a good one tonight. Come on, guys. You guys, I see that, you know, we try to find our identity in all of these different things, which is not entirely bad, but we forget about how God sees us. We, we forget about how God truly views us. Because the truth of the matter is, friendships, they'll let you down if they haven't already. Relationships will let you down as well. Your job will let you down. Money will let you down. And sadly, even the Broncos at times will let you down. Hey, I'm a Broncos fan. I see somebody over here nodding his head, so can I get an amen? <laughs> well, you guys, the coolest thing is God will not let you down. God will never let you down. I love the scripture where it says he will never leave us or forsake us. I love that because it's a double negative. It says he'll never, ever leave you, and he will never, ever forsake you. I don't know why, but for me, that double negative is just so encouraging to me. He'll never, ever leave you. He'll never, ever forsake you. He's the one that will never let you down. And in your past, you may think, well, God, no, he did let me down in the past. Well, maybe it was just your perspective. Maybe it was just what you were going through and how you viewed it. Because the truth is, God will never let you down. He'll never, ever leave you or forsake you because God has greater plans for you. See, in God, we have a great future. In God, we have a great hope. 
In God, we have love, peace, joy, forgiveness. In God, we have acceptance because he is for us and God is not against us. And so once you have discovered who God has made you to be, you will never want to be anyone else. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, 2 Corinthians, you probably know the verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what, church? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. See, a new creation, that speaks to our identity. We're, we're new now. We're created new. We're this new person. We're old creation. That has to do with who we used to be. And although we still may battle with that old person, we may still have flare-ups where we're just like, man, okay, this old person wants to come back, and all these old desires still we're seen through God's eyes as a new creation. And thank God that we are a new creation. Because I know for some of you, you were a completely different thing than you, in high school than you are now, right? <laughs> because you're a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, please open them up with me this morning to the book of Ephesians. We're going to spend all of our time in three verses, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And uh, just a heads up, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Um, I, just in the verses that I've been going over, I've been looking at the different translations. The New Living Translation, I just love, love, love the way that it puts these three verses. And today I want to look at three different truths about our identity in Christ. Some of you may be thinking, why is it important? I mean, why? why? Why do I need to know about my identity in Christ? What happens when we find our identity in Christ? Well, I believe here it gives us, we, we see three different things. When we find our identity in Christ, we find three things. And man, I hope that you get this this morning. Number one, it's we find grace over us. We find God's grace over us. Ephesians 2.8, take a look at it in your Bibles. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for it. It is a gift from God. The truth is, or the first truth I would like to take a look at today is that we have grace over us. And I don't know about you, but I love that word, grace. I mean, especially the acronym for grace. Maybe many of you guys have heard it before. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that we have God's riches that are freely given to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a gift. I mean, especially with Christmas coming around. I mean, this is the best gift that I could possibly think of is grace, is God's riches. And now we belong to God. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You see, for me, that speaks volumes to me. See, a lot of people, when they get to know me and we kind of interact, they just assume, well, yeah, you grew up in a Christian household. You know, you've always known God. You've always, you know, known about Christianity. Well, truth is, I actually came from the exact opposite. See, my parents, um, while I was growing up, uh, my dad was doing drugs. My dad was an alcoholic. I mean, just addicted to alcohol. He was cheating on my mom um, several times, and I'm just a four- or five-year-old, and I knew about it, so you can see that there was definitely something wrong with that. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of throwing of things, a lot of hatred in our household. And I remember the thing that broke my parents up, the last straw, was my mom was nine months pregnant, and she had a miscarriage. I remember being so excited to be a big brother, you know? 
I was so excited to have this little sister running around. Her name was going to be Kirsty, and I could just pour my life into her and play with her. And, and I was just so excited. But then all of a sudden, in a moment, she was taken from us. See, my parents didn't have health insurance, so they had no idea what was coming, but she had a rare form of spinal bifida. And so the moment that she was born, she unfortunately passed away. And I just remember being so angry at God. I was bitter towards God. I mean, so much so that I still remember the day that I was standing in the back of my dad's pickup truck. And I don't know if it was just something where I was just holding everything in or what, but for whatever reason, I just felt compelled to stand up and I just yelled at the top of my lungs four words that are still, still difficult for me to say to this day. I hate you, Jesus. I was mad at God. I was angry with God. I look back at that time in my life and I remember all the pain, all the suffering, the yelling, the fighting, the depression, the despair. But the craziest thing is I also see God's grace over our lives during that time. I see God's grace over my own life. See, after I said those words, God didn't make it his mission to destroy me. When I first stepped into church at age 10, I thought maybe the roof would cave in on me, but God didn't do that either. And for nine years, that was my identity. For nine years, my identity was wrapped up in the fact that, you know what, God, you're the one who killed my baby sister. You're the one that broke my parents up and got a divorce. And so I was mad at God. And that became who I was. You see, but then I accepted Christ. I accepted Jesus into my life. And I, I experienced grace firsthand for the very first time. I experienced God's love, and that was then when I realized that God truly does love me. My, my view and perspective of him completely changed. You see, for whatever reason, in his eyes, I was worth it. Didn't feel like I was worth it, but I was. And church, in his eyes, you're worth it too. You are worth it. Jesus went to the cross, he died in your place, not because you're some sort of rock star or you have some awesome thing to offer. Jesus died in your place because of his undeserved, your undeserved, unmerited love towards you. That's what God thinks of you. God loves you and God is for you. And today, maybe you're struggling. Today, maybe you're in the midst of it. I can relate. I mean, who you are and your identity is not found in the mess you're in or the mess that you came from. Your new identity in Christ is all based upon Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> and that is good news. I mean, I can see God just saying grace over you. I love you. I, I cherish you. I know you did some terrible things in your past, but guess what? I died for those terrible things so that you can have a relationship with me. I just love you. See, once you have discovered who God has made you to be, you will never want to be anyone else. Well, when we find our identity in Christ, we know that we find grace over us. But man, there's more good news, church. We also find the second thing, which is salvation for us. Through God, we find salvation for us. If you have our Bibles, take a look at that verse in Ephesians 2.9. It says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so that none of us can boast about it. <laughs> salvation, that, that word, is speaking of that last word in verse 8, saved. And this word literally means to be rescued from danger or destruction. See, I love that. Salvation is not a reward. You can't earn it. 
You can't do all these good deeds in order to earn salvation. See, oftentimes our identity can be wrapped up in what we do and what we accomplish. I know for me as a guy, I certainly struggle with that. But instead, our identity is 100% upon God because no matter what we accomplish in this life, it doesn't get us into heaven. Only Jesus does. God's new identity for you brings salvation, which is not based upon you being a perfect person. I mean, if you're to earn your way into heaven based on some type of your own effort, I mean, imagine how that would look like. I mean, I imagine us, you know, praying to God something like this, dear God, man, thank you for how awesome I am. (laughs) Whoo, man, (laughs) you are lucky, God, that I call myself a Christian. You're welcome. Amen. You know, like, that's ridiculous. But sometimes we have the heart that looks like that. Maybe not the prayer, but the heart. Because church membership doesn't save you. Church attendance doesn't save you. Giving to charity doesn't save you. Being a good person, unfortunately, doesn't save you. Salvation is not a reward that we can earn. It is instead a gift. You know, it reminds me of the story about a little boy that's running into his house and his mom stops him and says, hey, excuse me, what is all over your right hand? And the little boy comes over and lifts up his right hand, just covered in mud, you know, just dripping mud. And he's like, oh, it's, uh, it's mud, mom. The mom's like, okay, well, what are you going to do about that? I mean, are you going to clean it off? I mean, shouldn't you do something about it? And he goes, oh, yeah, I, I suppose So he takes his clean hand and begins to wipe off all the mud on his dirty hand, just rubbing his hands together. His mom points out, he's like, well, well, honey, there's a problem with that. You had one muddy hand, you had one clean hand, well, now you have two muddy hands. You didn't make it any better. In fact, you probably made it worse. How many times can we relate with that little boy? I mean, we have the mess of our own lives, the mess of our own mistakes, our sins on our hand. We're dripping in mud. Our hearts are full of mud. And then we think that we can wipe it all off by being a good person. We think that we can tip the scales in our favor. You know, we're like, oh, I'm not that bad. Let's balance it out. But all we're doing is just rubbing muddy hands together. All right, well, I'm going to give to charity. You know, I'm going to help my neighbor out. I'm going to be a, a good father. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to, you know, buy that person a Starbucks drink. And all we're doing, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good things about it, but all we're doing is just rubbing mud in between our hands. See, Jeremiah even says it elsewhere, that though we wash ourselves with soap and try to make ourselves clean, God can still see the stain of our sins. See, if you can get to heaven on your own, here's the sad reality, then that means you don't need God. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. What that's basically saying is, if there is any way you can earn your way into heaven, then Jesus died in vain. Because if there is any way, then maybe you should elevate your own life to be able to get into heaven based on your own works. But we can't. Because in other words, Jesus would be dying in vain. And we know that Jesus did not die in vain. He died to remove the mud off our hands and off our hearts. You might think, well, why? Why did he save us? It's the best news of all. Because he loves us. He loves us with all of his heart. It's unconditional love. Nothing you can do to earn it. See, sometimes we get in the mindset of, I need to be a good person 
in order for God to love me. But really, the opposite is, or the reality is the opposite. God loves you, so just go out and be a good person. See, the creator of the universe loves us. You are loved by the creator of the universe. God, God's love for you isn't based upon your skill set, your finances, your accomplishments. It's not based upon your successes. It's not what you do. It's what he has done. And once you have discovered who God has made you to be, man, you will never want to be anyone else. See, when we find our identity in Christ, we find grace over us. We find salvation for us. And third and finally, we find God's true, true perspective of us. We find God's perspective of us. Following along in Ephesians, take a look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. I love that. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The result of our salvation, the result of being a new identity in Christ is that you're viewed as a masterpiece. And I think there are some people here this morning that definitely need to hear that. God views you as a masterpiece. A born-again believer is a masterpiece of God. And I love the way that the Greek breaks down that word, masterpiece. Maybe in your translation it says workmanship. It's the Greek word poema, which translates where we actually get our word today for poem. And so in other words, God is referring to you as his great poem as his workmanship, his greatest piece of, of work, I mean, his, his piece of art, his masterpiece. And God views you that way. Going back a few weeks to what uh, Pastor uh, Anthony Milas had said, he asked the question, how do you determine the value of something? And then he gave us the answer, well, it's based upon how much someone is willing to pay for it. And here's the craziest part. You want to know your value? Jesus paid the price of death. That's your value. That's how valuable you are in his eyes. He views you as a masterpiece. And not just that, it gets better. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He views us as children. You know, when I think of a masterpiece, I think of the pyramids, I think of you know, some amazing painting, like a work of art or something. You know what I also think of? Think of my kids. You know, I still remember the first time I met my daughter, reached out my hand just shortly after she was born, and she wrapped her little hand around my finger. And ever since, I've, I've been, she's had me wrapped around hers. <laughs> my son, Gannon, uh, um, we definitely had a, a more difficult experience. He was a high-risk pregnancy. And the doctors, uh, they're telling us that he may not make it. They're saying to prepare for the worst. He had something called multi-cystic dysplastic kidney. And what they were seeing on the ultrasounds and everything was that there are many cysts that were developing all over his kidneys. And they're saying when he's born, he may not be able to breathe. When he's born, he may not be able to make it. And praise God that today he is healthy. <laughs> And he is fine. Yeah, please. Thank you. He's healthy. I mean, he only has one kidney, but we only need one kidney. And so we're totally fine with that. But I look at my kids, and I'm sure if you are parents in the room, you could probably relate. Our kids are miracles. 
Our kids are masterpieces. And there's nothing that my kids could ever do that would ever alter the way that I view them or what I think of them. My daughter's three going on 13, I tell you. And there's nothing that she could ever say or do to me that would ever make me think less of her. I'm so proud of her and my son as well. And God views us that way. You see, for me, I would be willing to die for my kids in a heartbeat. And I wouldn't even have to think twice about it. And God died for you in a heartbeat. God died for every single one of us. That's how valuable we are. That's how valuable he sees us. As a loving father, he views us as a masterpiece. But not just that, he views you as a poem. His greatest work of art, he views you as kids, as his son, as his daughter. You see, when we find our identity in Christ, what do we find? Man, well, we find grace over us. We find salvation for us. We find God's perspective of us. He views us as a masterpiece, church. He views us as his kids. And he's a loving father who knows best. Amen, church? Well, once you've discovered who God has made you to be, you'll never want to be anyone else. And I truly, truly do believe that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that our new identity is found in you, Father. It's not found in our past. It's not found in accomplishments or finances or anything else, Lord, that we can muster up or that we have to offer. Father, thank you for loving us as children. That you love us, that you are for us, you are not against us, and you accept us with arms open wide because of who you are. God, we thank you so much that we don't have to be that old person anymore, but God, we can be this new person, this better person, who you have inspired us, Lord, to be. And as we continue in an attitude of prayer today, still eyes closed, heads bowed, I just want to ask, church, if you have been struggling with your identity, if you've been struggling with who you are, maybe you've been trying to identify yourselves with all these other things, and today is the day where you want to get back on track. It's awesome. It's just as simple as just saying a prayer, a 180 turn. If that's you today, would you just simply lift up your hand so I can just pray for you real quick? Amen. Awesome. I see your hands. Praise God. See your hands up top. Top. Hands all over. Well, let me just do this. Let me lead you in a prayer real quick. There's nothing special in the words, but it's your heart behind it. Just say something like this. Jesus, I confess I've been struggling with my identity. I've been trying to find my identity in all the wrong things. God, please forgive me. Help me to get back on track. Give me the strength to do so. And God, remind me of who I really am. How you really view me. Thank you for your grace and for viewing me as a child. As we continue praying, if you've never received Jesus every service, every single week, Orchard Church, we give you guys the opportunity. If today you would like to accept Jesus into your heart for the very first time, for the very first time, and maybe for whatever reason, God was able to use me, and it just made sense. And you, you hear that God is this heavenly Father, and His love for us is unconditional, and maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I want that. I want that relationship. I don't want religion of do's and don'ts, but I want a relationship with you, God, who loves me no matter what. 
If that's you this morning, I just ask that you would just go ahead and say this prayer in your heart. Once again, nothing special about the words, but rather your heart. Pray something like this. Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, for all the bad things I've done, past, present, and even future. God, would you please come into my life? Be my Lord. Be my, my God. Be my Savior. Forgive me of all the things I've done wrong. And I commit my life to following you from this day forward. With heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around for a moment. We don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you just prayed that prayer, I would love the honor and privilege just to pray for you this morning. If that was you and you just said that prayer, could you just really quick just slip up your hand so I can pray for you? See your hand. Praise God. See your hand. Awesome. Praise God. That was good. Let's just go ahead and pray as a family. Father, I just rejoice and celebrate those who have just placed their faith in you for the very first time. They have made the greatest commitment and decision of all time that they will ever make. God, we just pray for them, that, Lord, you give them strength, help them to get plugged in, God. And, Father, I just pray for their relationship in you, that, Lord, they would just continue to grow closer and closer to you, Father, each and every day. We pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Did you appreciate that message this morning from Ryan? Good job, buddy. Good job. You know, I always tell younger, up-and-coming pastors that a message from the heart will speak to the heart. And there was a lot of heart in that message. Amen. So we're excited about Ryan and Stephanie and the Singleton family. We're thrilled to have them as a part of our team. So as they just grow and we're training them over the next couple of years, you'd be praying for them because we believe God's got big things in store for them. And we're excited about the days ahead. Hey, if you made a decision for Christ this morning, please let us know about that. We want to continue to pray for you, uh, minister to you. So let us know that on your connection card. You can drop it in the offering bucket when it goes by in a few moments. Um, let us know about your decision. If you're a first-time guest this morning here at Orchard Church, thanks so much for being our guest. We hope our service has been as much of a blessing to you as you've been to us by coming today. And the only thing we ask of you is that hopefully you fill out that guest connection card that was in your newsletter. You can drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by. Um, we're not interested in your money at all today, guests, but we're definitely interested in you. We'll send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail. So if you're a first-time guest, let us know that you're here uh, today. I hope you guys are excited about the Christmas season. It's a great opportunity to bring your friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors to church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm starting a brand new series next week. It'll be three weeks, a Christmas series called Fear Not. It's where the angels came to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. And all three times they said, don't be afraid. You know, we had a lot of people today living in fear in this country. A lot of people around the world living in fear. But we know the God of the Bible. We don't have to live in fear. We get to live in faith. And so it's going to encourage you the next three weeks during this Christmas season. So be here next week. Bring somebody with you. Let's pack this place out. Uh, people are looking to go to church at this time of the year. Also be in prayer. Uh, we have over 20 people signed up to be baptized at Orchard Church after this service today. So that's exciting. So praise God for that. Let's stand right now as we close in a song of worship. Worship through our giving. God bless you guys for being here. Have a wonderful week. I love you, Orchard Church. Thanks for coming.